a sister wrote me a note at one time and, and her, her question was, can you find a God of mercy in the book of Job? And I, I wrote her back and I said, yes, I think I can. God could have left Job alone. Years ago, I suffered an injury to my voice. At the time, I was a pastor and a worship leader. And uh, since that time, my strength is very small. And it's painful for me to speak, so I, I have about an hour a day that I can manage. And then the pain shuts me down. the righteous, but the 
wicked, his soul hates. So if you're righteous, he tests you. And if you're wicked, he leaves you alone. The last thing you want is for God to leave you alone. Lord, do not leave me alone. I have got to know you. I have got to see you. I have got to have you. And I want everything you've got for me. Lord, do not leave me to myself. Interrupt my life if you have to. Test me if you have to. But come to me. Visit me. Reveal yourself to me. So he's a pastor, growing church, and all of a sudden, he has this little tumor on his vocal cord, and he has to um, have some minor surgery. It was kind of normal, let's say. They do it all the time, so no big deal, right? Say no big deal. And this is the fruit of it. You saw the date, 1992. So what if you're waiting for someone else to change? What if you're waiting for someone else? What if you're waiting for God to change? See, you're in the place where you've done whatever you thought you could do. And then God says, cease striving, just know that I'm God. Just stop it. We're not too good at stopping stuff, are we? We we like to keep it. Come on, work it. Let's do it. Let's get this. God says, give that to me. See what I'll do with this. What is this? It's whatever is broken in your life. It's whatever is damaged in your life. It's whatever is wrong in your life. It's whatever. If you would judge it black and white, you would find out that there's truth. There's, there's an error. There's good and there's evil. And, and then what happens is we blur those lines of right and wrong, good and evil, and we make all this maybe. We talked about that Wednesday night a little bit about the gray area. And the more gray area and the more maybe we have in our lives, the more we tolerate and the more that we find acceptable. And yet it's not acceptable. It's not pleasing to God. It's black and white. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And so what happens is we love our freedom, but, but God says, in the book of Galatians, don't use your freedom as some license to get to go and do whatever you want to do. And what do we find in our lives? That's exactly what happens. We're prone to wonder, aren't we? We're prone to go after the things that we might even know weren't wise. It's not good. It's, it's not wholesome. It's not going to give us good fruit. But yet, we're likely to go there. Why is that? Somewhere along the time, when I hear a story of somebody's life, we just did it last night, didn't we, Ted? We, we talked about somebody, and you talked about a little life change going on and how they've changed. And I said, they're probably around 40 years old, aren't they? <laughs> he said, yeah, that's exactly why. Because at some point, all of a sudden, think about the maturity that's come in your own life. There's a certain point where all of a sudden, you just said, okay, enough with the foolishness. And boy, if we could just get, if we could get that earlier, you know, instead of 50 years old, 40, and instead of 40, 30, and instead of 30, 20, man, we would be ahead of the mark. 
You've lived your life enough to know that right now, don't you? Because of the mercy of God, for example. So you've got something, a life lesson. At How old are you? 32. Yeah, last week. A happy birthday. Oh, by the way, Terry's birthday is today. Somebody else's birthday is today. Whose birthday is today? Anybody else in the room? Jacob's is Thanksgiving. What a good Thanksgiving thing, huh? Amen. How cool is that? (laughs) You didn't get any turkey that day unless you call him a turkey, but um, that's pretty cool. Well, we'll tell her because she's in there, isn't she? Okay, we'll do do that. Don't let me forget that before we... She'll love that, right? (laughs) All right, look at your bulletin there. What if you're waiting for someone else to change? Here's some 10 things that basically will help you You'll want to have this, and you'll want to meditate on it. You'll want to look up the scriptures. I'm going to read some of them, but some of them I'm not. I just won't have time. So I'm going to trust that to you, but that's why I put them down there for you. You might have a little bit of margin. If you need to write something else, I've got other connected scriptures. Uh, It's all from God's Word, okay? So that's really important that uh, you're not hearing the wisdom of man. You're hearing the wisdom of God. Amen? All right. First thing is, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. If you're waiting for someone else to change... One of the first things that you got to do is don't harden your own heart because when you harden your heart, what happens is literally that is a muscle, that is a condition, a heart condition is a hardening of the heart, the physical, but we're talking about the spiritual, the heart, the seed of who you are. There's a place in us that, you know, sometimes we become sick in our hearts. We become sick in our hearts because of woundedness. We become sick in our hearts because we're, we're waiting, because for, for that which we long for, but it hasn't happened. And so in that time, we become sick in our hearts. And then that shows up usually on the face. It shows up in our lives because sometimes on our waist. Because when you're lovesick, you begin to try to feed or nourish yourself to, to get over that. And what God's always calling you to is not matter stuff in your face with, with any kind of anything else, medicine, drugs, alcohol, whatever it might be. Those are called vices, and it's something we lash out for and we reach for that we think will maybe make this pain go away. And you medicate yourself. That's what it's called, self-medicate. And here's the problem. God wants to be your healer, and he has a perfect prescription for you. So if you go to Dr. Jesus right off the bat, that'll help us. So the first principle is don't harden your hearts. In Hebrews chapter 3, it's down there for you, uh, three quick verses, but it says, Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ." Wow, there's a promise that if you won't do this, you'll get this. What? All that belongs to Christ. He, he's, he's the son. He inherits everything. He owns everything. Guess what you can have? You can have everything if you won't harden your hearts in the journey. Normally, hardening your heart can be toward, it's speaking specifically about God here. We can also harden our hearts toward our families, toward moms or dads, brothers or sisters, sons and daughters. We can harden our hearts toward church. We can harden our, our hearts toward whatever it is that comes upon you. That there, It's a turmoil of the soul. It's not acceptable to you. And so what happens is you begin to harden your hearts. You can harden your hearts toward whole groups of people. People who don't live lives that you might say are okay. 
That's called prejudice. And we're not just talking about black and white. We're talking about prejudice toward culture. We're talking about prejudice toward, toward things in people's lives. These are difficult days. These are difficult things that people have to, to work through. And what they need to find is they need to find the hope that we have in God. And that's why we need to be the ones to pull through in the end. Don't harden your hearts. Don't write people off. Number two, be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. Romans chapter 12 says, uh, in verse 18 actually says, so much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. In other words, you can't, you can't make everything okay between you and brothers or sisters, between you and people we've had issues with. You can only do what you can do. But you got to do what you can do. I made a phone call yesterday to somebody. I said, you've, you've left the church. I don't understand it all. I know that you may have been offended. And I want to make amends. And I want to make things right. And I just want you to call me back so that we can make it right. It's called the ministry of reconciliation. It's what the Bible tells us we're to do. And I just want you to know that I'm open for that. If there's any way that I can fix or heal something, I want to do that. So please call me back. So I'm waiting. And I wait. And if you know somebody who has an attitude against a pastor, against a church, against another person, the Bible's pretty clear. If you know somebody has aught with you, you're supposed to leave from playing church and go and reconcile to that person. And, and, and meanwhile, that's if you know that there's something that's going on between you and them. If you have something with somebody else, guess what it says? You've got to go and take care of it, deal with it, fix it, even if it's not your situation. I don't like that because as far as I'm concerned, I don't know of any problem. Oh, yes, I do. I know that they don't show up at church anymore. I know they don't return my phone calls. So there's a problem. Okay, well, let me do what I can do. Send a note card, send something. Guess what I do first? I pray for everybody. I pray. Boy, God, I did something. I blew it. Anybody ever blow it in here? With relationships, you say things you didn't really mean. You end up doing things. You even look, just a harsh look. Me, it's my eyebrows. You know, I'm really good at that mean look. And somebody gets offended by my mean look. That's why I try to smile a lot. So here's what it says. I love what Romans uh, says in the message version in this 12th chapter. It says, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. We're learning. We're not teaching that to the kids, aren't we? Sixth graders. I'm first at being second. Wow, it's a lesson in life that we all could learn from. I am first at being second. My daddy used to say to me, nobody can take care of old number one better than old number one. Wow, that means me. That's the first 30 years of my life. And as good as I did, there was still a whole lot of bad going on. And so what I did is somewhere along the way, I surrendered to Jesus. Guess what? He's been working on me ever since with my knowledge. Before that, I wasn't really. I was clueless. It says, don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled in a flame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears with when they're down. 
Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Don't, I'm sorry, don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. How about this? That's really saying it flows into number three. Help them to change with your good slash great attitude or conduct. Don't be merely words. Let it be but they, they can actually see it. Let, it. let them help them change with your good or your great attitude or conduct. That's the best evidence of anything is that you actually have it, that it's visible to them in your life. Not say what I, uh, do what I say, but literally follow me in my example. Number four, lay down your rights. Lay down your rights, even at the risk of being persecuted or, or wronged. Philippians 2.6, if we're supposed to be like Jesus, this is the passage that explains how Jesus was God and became man. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection or mercy, complete my joy and be of the same mind by having the same love, being united in Spirit, and having one purpose. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should, in humility, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. There you are, playing second fiddle again. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. You should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, by looking like other men, and by sharing in human nature. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What did he get for all that? As a result, God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Wow. Pretty cool. I want you to read, if you will. You've got the reference. That was, uh, that's a different version. The message version is what I want you to read. So I'm not going to read with that right now. But um, it does say that Jesus set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave and he became human. It's the central doctrine of Christianity is that God did something that no other God, lesser God, does for their people. God made a way for us in that we can cease striving and know that he's God. We get to walk and sleep in the bed that he made for us. See? We get to walk down the path that he made straight, that he removed the stumbling blocks. It says, well, listen to number five. Read that in the message if you want to put the message version under it so you can get that context of the rest of that. Lay down your rights. Five, pray, 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 and then pray some more until change comes to you or to them. 
That's what does. Prayer sometimes doesn't change God. It doesn't change the situation. What it changes, it changes us. In the delayed answer, prayer changes us because we have to deal with this God who's still at work, who's got, he, he's, he's made promises. And so that's what it happens. It, you pray and pray and pray and then pray some more until change comes to them or to you. And First Thessalonians is a passage I gave you. It says this, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays evil with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Amen? Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If you want to know what God's will is on the eve of Thanksgiving, it's that you would be thankful, that you'll give thanks, that you'll continue to pray through every situation. Number six, that's on the back of your page. Flip it over, say, wow, we're there. Trust God. That's the first, uh, number six. Trust God who directs your steps to direct slash change theirs. How about that? If he's done this for you, why don't you think he'll do it for somebody else? If you've known his goodness, if you've known his kindness, if, if you've had a revelation of Jesus Christ, then why don't you think he'll do that for somebody else who is lesser somehow in, in your eyes? He will. That's what he's about because he reveals his greatness. He just can't help himself. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, he just can't help himself. Huh? He just can't help himself. That's the way God is. So trust God who directs your steps to direct or change theirs. Proverbs 16, 9 is one of my life scriptures. And that says, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs their steps. A man's heart means I've got goals. I've got things that I want to do. Delaney, you got goals. You're in college. You're thinking you're going to become this. And God has a plan for you. And guess who's going to win? God. Unless your desire lines up with his desire, then you'll say, aren't I smart? I never missed a beat with God. Well, you can do that because if you give God that he's the guy who's, you're marching to his beat, You'll be on beat. You'll go right through. You'll be a rhythm person. See what I mean? Number seven. This is a good one. Oh, I should have had these. I forgot my, my illustration for you. Anyway, that's okay. You got one at home, I'll bet. Go back to the mirror. Go back to the mirror. Remember who you are versus who you were. It's important for us to, you know, you don't want to forget who you were. You don't want to forget your past. Your past is valuable because, but it's only valuable in seeing God's hand in your past. To be able to say, look at this, what it is today, but look at where it was. And what you'll find is the were and the, and the is. Remember how we studied that out in Ephesians? And we just said you once were, but now you are. It shows that this is, how it, this is what used to be and this is what is. It talks about God's work in our lives because that's what Philippians 1.6 says. Anybody got that memorized? That's another life scripture. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he, God, who began a good work in you, he's going to continue it. He's going to even perfect it right up into the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Why in despair, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God. 
He's going to finish this thing. It's his idea. You're his idea. The sooner we get a hold of that, the better off we're going to be. Amen? All right. James 1, 23 and 24 says it this way. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. I'm not so good on the slow to speak part. Human anger does not produce the righteousness of, that God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted. Say planted. Yeah, in your hearts. For it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen. We you throw my phone to me? But don't just listen to God's word. That's my alarm telling me, you better hurry up, Pastor. No, I purposely did that so that I know at 11.55, it's time to get going. Say yay for those alarms. (laughs) You can see I'm on number seven. Give me a break. Here it is. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, it don't forget and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. That's why people don't want anything to do with Christianity or religion. Sometimes they begin to look at it, it's worthless. I don't see it in you. Why do I want that? Remember, I don't want a fat person teaching me how to lose weight. Get it? It's not being mean to fat people. That's saying, I want somebody who has it working in their lives to talk to me. You try to fix me, you better be pretty fixed yourself. You see? If you claim, okay, don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself, your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. It's not just orphans and widows. It's refusing to let the world corrupt you. It's refusing to become like the world is. So you can look at the world and say, well, we're all Christians. Let's just sing Kumbaya. No, we're not all Christians. We're not all going to sing some worthless song that is just playing, faking it. We need to actually let it be lived out in our lives and let other people call us Christians. You see? And they'll know we are Christians by our... There's three people who knew that. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. Yeah. They'll know we are Christians by our love. Ready? Number eight. Speak, speak, pray, and live for their potential or to their potential. Sometimes that's what you got to treat people like. You got to treat them beyond where they're living because if they knew how to live right, if they knew how to win, if they knew how to be successful, if they knew how to emulate Christ, they would be doing it, but they don't. So that means we have to actually see them as God sees them know that they've got this potential in him. It's not based on their own strength or ability. It's based on God. God will continue this work that he began in us. And so when you have eyes to see people like that, you're not so judgmental. You're not going to be wagging fingers, you know, in their face. You're going to begin, you'll weep over them. You'll weep like God wept over over creation. You'll weep like Jesus when he weeps over Jerusalem. He knows what they're about to do, but he knows their potential. So for you and I, speak the things that are not as though they are. That's what faith is. You speak the things that are not as though they are. You know, you can start that with little baby. You can begin to declare the purposes of God over little baby. 
before she has understanding, before she can utter a word, you begin to speak those things because you know that you grasp it at some point, but you also had heartache and you had misery and you had pain in the journey. And you can declare that over, over your, your daughter. You can say, at night, she's sleeping, so she's not annoyed by you. And you can just, yes, God, I agree that you got a grand purpose for my little girl, for my little boy. And you declare the things that are not because you got the potential because you got God's heart on the matter. Amen? Speak, pray, and live to their potential. That's Luke chapter 18. If you, if you remember, that was the story of the rich young ruler. Let me just quote you this little part. It says, those who ha- uh, it says, who can, can enter into the kingdom of God? And he said, I'd say it's easier to thread a camel through a needle's eye than to get a rich person into God's kingdom. And so they said, like you and I might say today, well, then who has a chance, right? Then who has any chance at all? The others asked. No chance at all, Jesus said. If you think you can pull it off by yourself... But every chance in the world, if you trust God to do it. For what's impossible for people is possible with God. That's what he says. The other passage, which is 1 Corinthians, um, it's uh, chapter 7. That's the passage that speaks about uh, the unbelieving husband living with a believing wife or the unbelieving wife living with a believing husband. Okay, And what it says there is literally don't give up on each other. You might be unequally yoked and you found yourself in this and this is the way you are. In that condition, stay in it. Stick to it. Don't give up on them. Why? His love never fails. He never gives up. Never runs out on me. If we're going to be like Christ, we need to be like that. To who? Our wife, our husband. See? We got to be like that with our children. His love never fails. He never gives up. He never runs out on me. I'm being like Jesus in that case where I'm loving when it's the hardest time to love. Remember what he says? So if you love those who love you, who do everything you want, what is that? That's easy. Love those who are difficult people. Love those who despitefully use you. Oh, now you're really doing something. Now you're, you're on your way to being like Jesus. The last, uh, number nine. Number nine. Keep your focus, hope, and trust on God. Keep your focus, your hope, and trust on God. I love this. It's in the New American Standard is the one that, uh, that I read most of the time. And it's uh, the one that uh, I love the way this verse goes. In, in Job now, we're past chapter 2 and 3, and we're into chapter 14. And this is what happens. It says that we're all adrift in the same boat. See? Too few days, too many troubles. Does that sound like that's today? Written 4,000 years ago, 6,000 years ago, and yet it sounds like it's right today, doesn't it? We're all adrift in the same boat. Too few days, too many troubles. We spring up like wildflowers in the desert, and then we wilt, transient as the shadow of a cloud. Do you occupy your time with such fragile wisps? Say that, wisps. Wispeses, yeah. Why even bother hauling me into court? There's nothing much to us to start with. How do you expect us to amount to anything? Mortals have a limited lifespan. You've already decided how long we'll live. Guess who he's talking to? God. You set the boundary and no one can cross it. So why not give us a break? Ease up. Anybody ever been like that with God? (laughs) Cut me some slack, dude. Even ditch diggers get occasional days off. 
for a tree, there's always hope. Chop it down and it has a chance. Its roots can push out fresh sprouts. Sprouts. Its roots can put out fresh sprouts. Even if its roots are old and gnarled, its stump long dormant, at the first whiff of water it comes to life, buds and grows like a sapling. But men and women, they die and stay dead. They breathe their last and that's it. Like lakes and rivers that have dried up, parched reminders of what once was. So mortals lie down and never get up, never wake up again. Never. Why don't you just bury me alive? Get me out of the way until your anger cools. But don't leave me there. Set a date when you'll see me again. If we humans die, will we live again? That's my question. Wow, good question, isn't it? Homesick, I'm sorry. All through these difficult days, I keep hoping, waiting for the final change, for resurrection. Homesick with longing for the creature you made, you'll call and I'll answer. You'll watch over every step I take, but you won't keep track of my missteps, say sins. My sins will be snuffed, stuffed. Come on, trailer. My sins will be stuffed in a sack and thrown into the sea, sunk in deep ocean. Wow. Did you get that? John, what did he do with your sins? That's what he did. He says, I'm going to. I'm going to take them and stuff them in a sack and throw it into the sea, put a, put a concrete block in there and send it to the bottom, the deep ocean. Meanwhile, mountains wear down and boulders break up. Stones wear smooth and soil erodes as you relentlessly grind down our hope. You're too much for us. As always, you get the last word. We don't like it and our faces show it, but you send us off anyway. If our children do well for themselves, we never know it. If they do badly, we're spared the hurt. Body and soul, that's it. For us, a lifetime of pain, a lifetime of sorrow. Wow, by the time you get to the end of that, you're just like, yeah, God, good idea, God. See what I mean? But, but you know the New Testament. You know that Job, in all of his wisdom, he was lacking some things here about the knowledge of God. But yet, even in that expressing the lack of the knowledge of God. What good is man if you just kill us in the end? That's it. End of story. No, no, we won't live again. See what I mean? In the end, he still has this desire that when you call me, I'll answer. Put me away until your anger cools, he says. Which actually says there's something, and that's what Ecclesiastes says, God put eternity in our hearts. Even in the midst of declaring what he knows so far... He still has this hope. And I love verse 14 in the, in, in the message. It talked about resurrection, didn't it? It's important to know way back, some consider Job to be the first book ever written in the Bible. Chronologically, it was one of the earliest books. And it talks about resurrection. Not reincarnation. It talks about resurrection, which says that God has a purpose for us eternally. And here's what it says in the New American Standard. It says in in one version, all those through these difficult days, I will keep hoping, waiting for the final change for resurrection. In the New American Standard, it said, if a man dies, will he live again? Listen to this. All the days of my struggle, I will wait until my change comes. Folks, if I have a word to send you off with today, 
That's what it is. You wait until your change comes. You wait until God changes the situation. You wait until you see that change in your son or your daughter, in your mother or father. Whatever that relationship is, whatever that that crisis is, whatever that job situation is, you just wait until your change comes. You just plant yourself and say, I will not be moved. If anybody moves me, God, it'll be you. I'm only moving when you tell me to move. Otherwise, I am planted right here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not quitting. I'm not retreating. The only person I'll ever surrender to is to you. Wow. I'm telling you, if you'll do that, you'll see change come. You'll see change happen because you're going to do everything you know to be able to do that. And that leads us to the last one, number 10. Know that God is your redeemer. Know that God is your redeemer and that he will fix everything. (laughs) There's a day, I'm telling you, nothing whacked out gets into heaven. Nobody whacked out gets into heaven. You know why? Because God said he's going he's to prepare his bride and she'll be spotless and she'll be without wrinkle. I'm telling you, when you look to God, God's going to fix everything. He's going to straighten out everything. He's got a humongous press that he's going to, we're going to go through this little laundromat before we get to heaven and we're going to find ourselves pristine condition. Do you know that every time you ask forgiveness for your sins, that that's what God does? He cleanses you from all unrighteousness. He puts you in that place right now that I get to wear holy garments because I just said, come, forgive me, God. Restore me. Clean me up, God. Make me smell pretty to you. And he does it. Know that God, your redeemer, he's your redeemer. He will fix everything. Here's Job 19, 25 to 27. It says, as for me, I know that my redeemer lives. Though I'm scraping myself, I'm covered from head to toe in boils. I've lost all my 10 children. I've lost all my farm animals. I've lost everything that... that that really gave me prestige, it gave me position in life, that made people look at me and call me successful. As for me, I still know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet my from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another. My heart faints within me. Wow. I will see him in the New Living Translation for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. This is the same guy who says, so we die and then that's it. No, he's just declaring what humanity feels like sometimes is like there's no hope for me. Instead, he says, yes, there's hope for you. I know my Redeemer lives. I know it. And he's going to finish this work that he began in me. I will wait. As for me, I will wait until my change comes. Are you willing to wait? Let's pray. 